0: Traveling
1: the Vortex. We've joined the doctor as he travels the vortex, and I hope you have your Gortanian underwear on. It's episode 433. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? Are you well protected?
0: I'm sitting here in my Gordanian underwear.
1: You will be safe, then.
0: (laughs) That's all I've got on this bike.
1: Well, you guys can can see. see.
2: (laughs) It's quite distracting. A little (laughs) little bit awkward, but... Of all the times that we've said, I wish you listeners at home could see this.
0: (laughs) They're thongers. You haven't seen the backside I've been sitting.
1: (laughs) I'm glad I'm going to sneak out of here before you stand up. (laughs) Yeah.
0: What did you guys do this week? Watch anything?
1: We finished Good Omens. Well, we, we haven't even <laughs> gone past the first episode. I still have yet to finish the book. I've only got like. I'm done with the book. I've got like
2: 75 pages left. Uh, I still don't own the book. And, uh, <laughs> I still <laughs> haven't started the series. How was it? It was good. I enjoyed it a lot. Sarah liked it a lot too. So, I understand that uh, uh, David Tennant's podcast, he just had uh, Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen yeah, on. He did. That was a great episode. It was
1: good. There's a really great story about, you know, how Michael Sheen got involved with good omens and yeah. <laughs> a fantastic story of the first time he ever met Neil Gaiman because he was a big fan of him to begin with and then got to meet him and become friends with him. We also watched How to Train Your Dragon The Hidden World, which I really liked. That was a good end to the series. Very satisfying. Yeah, it was. I'm I'm good with how they ended it.
2: Highly recommend. Okay. Glad you enjoyed that one. Anything else? That's all we did. Did
0: you watch
1: anything, Sean?
2: We uh, went and saw Dark Phoenix.
1: Oh, is that the train wreck everyone says it is?
2: Uh, yeah, pretty much. Hmm. I mean, I uh, it's better than X3.
1: Oh, it's better than Last Stand. <laughs> okay.
2: It's, it's definitely better than X3. But admittedly, that's a really low bar to jump over. Um I liked apocalypse better than this one. Oh. But I think I honestly I think Phantom's kinda too hard on apocalypse. It's got
0: Are they just cursed with doing the Phoenix I think story? So. Is that what's happening? It's
2: kinda sort of entertaining if you go into it really not expecting much. Mm. But don't expect it to fit into the established timeline, that's for sure. <laughs> uh and then um finally went out and caught Aladdin. Nah, you know, I didn't hate it. I I hate to admit that I went into it with this preconceived notion that I was going to not like it, but I kind of went into it with this preconceived notion that I wasn't going to like it because it's not, it's not my Aladdin. And, um, unlike the Beauty and the Beast remake where they, or I can't say remake, the live action, where it was kind of shot for shot for shot, a remake of Beauty and the Beast, um this one wasn't they 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 kind of here's an iconic moment and you go oh there's that but um the rest of it they kind of did their own thing and i chalked that up to um guy richie I, I think he definitely has a maybe a better eye for things of that nature hmm. but um you know will smith was entertaining um i thought a they they kind of beefed up jasmine's role a little bit and gave her some stuff to do which was cool and, um, you know, I, I didn't even, I thought I wasn't going to like Jafar, but he, he turned out to be pretty cool. A couple of little changes here and there that I didn't like, but, uh, overall it was okay. What'd you do, Glenn?
0: I didn't really watch anything. We, we, we were flipping through on the Apple TV and I was just looking to see what the trending movies were and Ghostbusters popped up and Ghostbusters two side by side. And I thought, well, oh, a lot of people are downloading Ghostbusters suddenly. So, well, well, what the heck? So I thought maybe it's cheap. Well, sure enough, it was only five dollars for the uh, uh, digital copy for each one, and I thought, well, for five bucks, I'll buy those digitally. So I bought them, and then Mason goes, "Oh, you, you bought Ghostbusters?" I said, "Yeah, because I, I I don't own them on Blu-ray. I just have the DVDs." And I thought, well, that'll be a little bit of an upgrade. And he goes, "Oh, are we gonna watch them?" And I said, "Well, oh, we can watch Ghostbusters. I said, "I don't I want to watch one tonight. This was Saturday night." I said, "I don't know. I only want to watch one. We fired up Ghostbusters and Holly and Caitlin both sat down and was like, oh, we're watching Ghostbusters. So we watched <laughs> Ghostbusters and I didn't think anything about it. And then later that night I got online and found out that we watched it on the 35th anniversary of Ghostbusters, which was Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, no wonder they were trending. <laughs> well, and it wasn't, sale, it wasn't you know? because they were cheap. It was because they were. everybody was watching it.
2: The geeks were out. And
0: I thought, oh, wow, well that was kind of a nice bit of serendipity. So that's how we watched the 30th. 35th anniversary of Ghostbusters on the 35th anniversary of Ghostbusters. Nice. All right, well, what do we got
1: news? Well, BBC have announced uh, a new animated release, <laughs> the Faceless One, the day after we recorded. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we even moved our recording dates and they're still sticking it to us.
0: We're going to start placing bets on what tomorrow's announcement will be.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, this is not one I would have ever put money on. Yeah, you know, that's true. Came out of the blue. Uh, 2020. There's not a specific release date that I can see, but they have reanimated. Not reanimated.
2: <laughs> they have animated. <laughs> now, is that remastered, or did they actually go back <laughs> and do it
0: reanimated. The... <laughs> they've brought it back from the dead. <laughs> Essentially.
1: <laughs> uh... Yeah, the faceless ones, all, all six parts, animation.
0: It's a bold move. Yeah.
2: Now, this is not one that I'm familiar with, so it was kind of... Um, I, I didn't think they'd do it just because it was six parts. Yeah, that was a, a shock to I'm me. I'm kind of surprised by that, too. Um, but, uh, Glenn, correct me if I'm wrong, this is uh, something to do with... Uh, shapeshifters? This or? is
0: one I know the most little about because I haven't even watched the recon. This. this is probably one of the few recons
1: I have left to watch, so I, I haven't know. even watched the recon of this.
2: So Glenn doesn't know either? I do not. Well, then I, I guess we'll find out. I know
1: it's set in 66. So
2: I remember that's... whatever description I read of it, it made me think, oh, well, that actually does kind of make sense for an animation because they could do this with it, you know? But
1: Here's the other thing that kind of makes sense for it is it's the next one after the Macro terror. Yeah. So with the success of the Macro Terror and the sales, people are would want to see the next story. Who knows? It's not available here. <laughs> well that's what this that's what this article is reporting that there oh. were successful sales of the Macro Terror. <laughs> In the UK. Yes. So so what's actually we got the D V D here. We just haven't got the Blu-ray. No, we no, don't it's have,
2: we we have that DVD October. yet. Yeah. October. And yeah. there's
0: no guarantee on the Blu-ray. We're getting the DVD no. for sure in
1: October.
2: What else is in that season? Let me pull that back up. Just because I'm curious to know now. Okay, so can could, could we make a fairly intelligent, educated guess? That Next,
1: after this, would be Evil of the Daleks. I don't know if that's the same season, though.
2: If they're planning on doing a, uh, you know, Trout and Blu-ray box set, maybe that's... Oh, well, they could easier,
0: easily do one that has fewer missing, though,
2: than that. Yeah, you think because they do Evil's one of the missing,
1: later ones.
0: Because Evil's missing, Faceless is missing, Macra's missing.
1: So season, it's part of Season 4, Let me get the, uh, which starts with the Smugglers... Which is missing. ...and goes to Evil of the Daleks. Which is missing, so we still have the Highlanders and the Smugglers that have not had a release yeah, so far. Just,
0: It would be weird for them to do that one. Those
1: are the only two. Sort of but makes they could me do wonder, the first so, sort season of, makes, of Patrick.
0: Sort of makes me wonder if they're doing a season that they... They're animating a season that they think is way down the road, and they will release a season that there's an, enough of Patrick to do a season box set.
1: That, that yeah. it does exist, is what it seems to me. Because one of the... as we discussed I mean, previously, be... we don't think they'll probably do true seasons. Right.
0: Well, no. I...
1: Because there's overlap there, obviously. Oh, oh I see what you're the saying. The Smugglers yeah. and Tenth Planet overlapping with... with, with right, no, you're right, you're right. Uh, and if you take those two out, the only one other one that hasn't been released is the Highlanders. Right.
0: And I just don't see them animating that. I mean, maybe eventually, since they're doing...
1: Some of these, but...
2: I would see Evil of the Daleks before I would see Highlighter. Oh, most I'm definitely. I'm of surprised yeah. we were
1: seeing the Faceless ones before Evil of the Daleks. Doesn't one of those stories well, exist? One of those me, episodes? I think you're right.
0: But it makes me wonder if they're... Just going in order? Going in order now, so...
1: Well, but they're also kind of jumping around a little bit because they did shot up. Maybe
0: there's, maybe there's an arc between Macra Terra and Evil of the Daleks that they felt like was a good place to...
1: Keep pace and just do all three of those in a row. There's a companion handoff, I know that.
2: Yeah. I don't know. I don't
1: know. I'm excited. More Trouton.
2: Yeah. I, <laughs> any excuse.
1: There's a companion. Oh, in Not Tell Evil. In the Faceless Ones. That's a departure story. Yeah, but. And then the new one comes on. Okay, and, I got you. Yeah. yeah. The, hand, the handoff is, the handoff between, is between, yeah, between the okay, two. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Saying vaguely to avoid spoilers like nobody <laughs> might have <laughs> from a 1967 story. Well, it's new to
0: us. Stan <laughs> <laughs> and Polly leave, <gasps> and, and uh, Victoria arrives. There you go. Spoiled it.
1: Jeez, Glenn. <laughs> well, that's it for news. That's All some big news, though. That's some big news. That's though. some
2: big news.
0: All right, well, Sean, what have we got feedback.
2: Uh, feedback, we have a very nice piece from Jamie. As soon as my screen wakes up, uh, Jamie writes Hi there, Vortexers. Been a long time since I've used that opening. How is everyone? I'm actually looking forward to this feedback because, for once, your coverage and my listening have converged. <laughs> I'll get more to that in the episode comments, but my listening of Lou Garot, pronounced Lou for those who just barely passed French one, because I think back in the day we pronounced it loupes Uh for my Big no, Finish reviews. We did not. We didn't? Nope. I'm pretty sure I did. I, Sean
0: I, was, I was adamant of saying Lou Garot.
2: because uh, uh, I went and looked it up before yeah, we I, recorded Yeah, that, that, that's, make that's sure. what it was. Um. My listening and your review coverage have uh, intersected. Agreeing on your comments, on not living up to potential. As I said in my second round of Big Finish reviews and my comments on the infamous Minuet in Hell, I read the summary found in the Big Finish Companion, Volume 1 for this story. It's not that bad of an idea. The way the plot summary is written makes it sound like something interesting that I'd like to listen to. And yet, actually listening to it, I struggle to get into it. Episode 106, The Awakening and Lou Garot. Short news and week that was sections this episode, on the other hand, love the flash feedback jingle. That was awesome. Definitely something for an epiversary. Sorry, Sean, but I think you're alone in seeing other doctors and the snowmen opening credits. Just looked them over and saw nothing except Matt Smith. Sorry. Nah, they're there. That's the hill I'll die on. <laughs> It'll be
1: a lonely mountain.
2: <laughs> This talk about language classes brought up German. No, I don't speak the language. However, did you know that the first three tenths Doctor audio stories from Big Finish were re-released in German? I did not know that. Hmm. I've seen The Awakening, but it's been ages, and I don't remember it. I remember the malice, or whatever it's called, looking a bit fake with that monstrous grin. But that's about it. I'd like to mention Tegan and Turlo. I don't mind Teagan. Most people seem not to like her because she's shrill and pushy and doesn't want to be there. Uh, Maybe it's because I haven't seen any of her TV appearances recently, and I've only heard her in Big Finish, but I just don't mind her. She's not one of my favorite companions, but she's not terrible. Turlo is this mysterious alien masquerading as a schoolboy, and I rather like Turlo. His audio adventures, both solo and with other companions, have really improved his character. He's a different kind of companion, and I think that's to his benefit. Lou as has a Doctor Who story. I enjoyed it. It's kind of middle of the road. I don't hate it. It's not a huge favorite of mine. As to Rose's accent, I really didn't think it was Brazilian, but I also didn't think it was Midwestern Southern USA. <laughs> I didn't mind it. It wasn't minuet and hell level bad. As I said in my review, I'm not a fan of the werewolf, zombie, vampire, etc. genre, but that said, I thought this story did werewolves well. I also really enjoyed Tooth and Claw in series 2. As to the ending with Ileana, she never went into the TARDIS. After Stubby, Stubby, Stubble? Stubby, Say it Frenchly. It's been long enough that I don't remember this story. After he's defeated, the TARDIS lands, the Doctor has a final goodbye with Ileana while Turlo looks on in confusion. Episode 107, the beginnings of the Divergent Universe arc. Now, to be fair, it has been a while since I've listened to any of these. I remember this feeling like a missed opportunity that, though it had some good entries, didn't live up to its potential. The return of Doctor Who to TV in in 2005 cut it short, and they took some of the unmade entries and made them after the arc, but placed them in the primary universe. And then some of the entries that were in the arc felt like they could have fit in our universe anyway. It was a bold experiment for which I applaud Big Finish for trying, I just don't think it was successful. I think I, I find I think of it as the lowest point in the 8th Doctor audio timeline. I do happen to like the Curl Up and Die Salon name, having only seen it in the Blues Brothers, as Carrie Fisher's bass. It doesn't feel old to me. I enjoyed the Bohemian feedback jingle, although Flash is still better. so I remember enjoying it, but then again, I usually enjoy Rob Sherman's work. As a refresher, he wrote Holy Terror, The Chimes of Midnight, and Jubilee, as well as Dalek for TV. You talked about the Zagreus anti-time thread that didn't seem to go anywhere, and the sound creature. Well, they did at least get some payoff in the 3 finale for the arc, The Next Life. I remember it being long and semi-confusing, not as much as Zagreus, though, with lots of guest stars and world-building, but I'll get to that when you do. Creed of the Corman, Croman, not Corman. And I realized I was doing that when I read his review earlier, and I went, I've mispronounced that stupid name. <laughs> this entire time I don't know why I've flipped the O and the R Crom- So it's Corman like uh, Harvey <laughs> maybe not <laughs> I don't remember this one much I recall a little of the plot of Cariz again some of his backstory comes into play in the next life didn't hate it but at the moment it seems unmemorable moving right along to episode 108 I enjoyed Nightmare in Eden it was a nice self-contained anti-drug story So, Doctor Who has done anti-taxes, anti-drugs, anti-Thatcher, anti-capitalism, what's next I wonder?
0: He did anti-matter too.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, the one thing about this that you didn't comment on that I expected you to was Trist's accent. I kind of like it, it's different, it fits well with his groovy hippie feel. The One Doctor. This was Big Finish's first Christmas special. I remember it being good, but not any of the details. Matt Lucas, Nardle, in series 10, was in this as a jellioid and the cylinder voice. Moving on to episode 109. I'm just not a fan of 3D movies. I don't see the appeal. I also rarely see films in theaters unless it's something I really want to see and or I'm going with friends. It's just way cheaper to wait a couple of months and get it for free from my local library. As for the Hobbit trilogy, I didn't really think it needed three films. The elf-dwarf love triangle wasn't necessary and I don't remember Thorne dying in the book. I do enjoy Lord of the Rings, though. So, Happiness Patrol. I remember enjoying it a lot. Didn't care much for the look of the Candyman, who apparently can't return to televised who. I remember reading and hearing on Special Features that this whole that this whole thing was very anti-Margaret Thatcher, and that Helena in particular was supposed to represent her. Of course, unfortunately, I didn't know enough about that period in British history, or about Thatcher in particular, to know if they did particularly well in that. And finally, Colditz. I rather like this one. It's a good story. David Tennant shines as Kurtz. And then there's Klein, played by Tracy Childs, who is the mom in Fire of Pompeii. She's a mysterious, cunning, intelligent person. While Kurtz is just the brute of a villain, Klein is the mastermind. On all a good set of episodes, enjoying your show and slowly plowing through, keep up the good work, Jamie.
0: Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Jamie. All right, well, if people want to contact us with their feedback... Sean, how do they do that?
2: Oh, they can send it uh, to, uh, this is my normal bag. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, can, uh, uh, oh, they can mail it. Uh, they can send it uh, via email. <laughs> they, they can uh, call us. We have a Google <laughs> number, don't we? <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> no, you just go to our website and click the uh, send us feedback tab and it will uh, connect you and you can send us that way or uh, uh, feedback at com, and we will happily read it out on the show.
1: Keith, while well, they're on our website, how do they uh, give us money? Well, there's a nice little link called Patreon, and you can click there and choose to give us however much or how frequently you want to donate to us. Um, there's also a link to our Spreadshirt shop, where you can buy Traveling the Vortex merch, and all those that money comes directly back to
2: us. All right. Well, well another friend of the show might say we have lots of wonderful things. <laughs>
0: Alright, well, how uh, about... Well, we move on to our review.
1: <laughs> Time Reaver. Calibris. The spaceport planet where anything goes. Where anyone who doesn't want to be found can be lost. And where everything has its price. Where betentacled gangster Gully holds sway at the smuggler's tavern, vagabonds reach. The alien Vicentians are trying to impose some order on the chaos. Soon, the Doctor and Donna discover why. An illegal weapon is loose on the streets. A weapon that destroys lives, slowly and agonizingly. The Time Reaper.
2: Yeah! Give it a bum-bum-bum. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. I enjoyed it. Once I had it in the right sequence, it was enjoyable. <laughs>
0: All right, what's next? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Keith, you start out this yeah, week. I
1: I think this story feels very much in line with the fourth doctor or the fourth, the tenth doctor's fourth season with Donna. It feels like it could easily slip in there. It kind of has a almost a gridlock type. I can imagine it looking very similar to gridlock. And the idea of these weapons that slow down time, I for the person, I think is a, a rather cool idea. And the fact that they've cropped up and have been outlawed, and cropped up and been outlawed, and the idea of these Vicentians that you know there's a scientist and it gets things get kind of misguided and he's just trying to prolong the life of their civilization and make it so they all can go away together i thought it was nice i thought uh she the the girl and donna had a nice relationship together a nice friendship and the doctor was his frantic normal tin doctor so
0: it's a good bait and switch story there too because you don't know that the the what's the name of the uh doomed uh civilization? Uh, the Vicentians. Yeah, the Vicentians, you know, they've come to this planet in order to Well the doctor doesn't know why, and he keeps questioning why are they here, why you yeah. know, why why are they that they're bureaucratic, you know, idiots. They don't really uh they really aren't law enforcement why they're here. And so to find out why they're here I thought was pretty cool. Um, you come across her who's missing and she's ended up inadvertently giving this gun to the bad guy and he wants more of them. And you know, they, they, they paint her path a certain way and you kind of think that she's somebody else. And then you find out, oh, no, she was actually there to sell the guns because she was trying to unload them and get rid of them so yeah. that uh, they wouldn't use them. Um, it just it had all those little nice little turns as it went. Um, I think it gives Donna a lot to do. I really like her character in this one. It, this one feels like a, uh, this one and the next one feel like stories very much tailored to her and her season, how, oh, how, yeah. how, her character was portrayed. And I think that that comes across really well. Um, I like that. She, you know, really becomes a, take charge there at the end because she realizes she's been given the. the she, interesting enough, she when uh, the uh, the guy gives the doctor full reign to investigate and gives him the special sheet of paper. She's the one that takes it. Yeah. And so I thought it was very cool that she's the one that comes back and that you know well they can't do anything without an order from you know the head up. Well, they they can because I have this piece of paper and I right. thought that was kind of a clever little uh, switch there. then I didn't expect I had actually had forgotten that she that they both had that authority. Um so uh, there were a lot of surprises um it's it's not a complicated story by any means but mm-hmm. they do a really good job of of bringing up these little these little new surprises that you don't expect uh, each turn all the way down to the factor of the doctor absorbing all the tri- time reaper uh energy in order so that no one gets these guns you know he just continues to fire himself at himself and um
1: and the the scientists who de- developed the technology sacrificing himself with the yep with the time Reaver bomb. Yep.
2: Yeah.
0: It was just yeah, lots of little twists and turns that I didn't see coming, so I, I really appreciated that.
2: I can care. There's um I, I thought there were some very, very nifty ideas uh present from uh the idea of a, a race wanting to prolong its last moments. Um which sounds romantic but I kinda kept going back to the death of Krypton. And thinking, no, <laughs> that, that, that does not sound like a fun thing I'd want to relive. Um,
0: you want to put the city of Candor in a bottle? N-
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> not that either. Um But, uh, and then her, her the daughter's nativity about, oh, I thought people would use them for, you know, weddings. <laughs> 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 <And> think. <laughs> Really? Yeah, the
0: nativity. Uh, yeah. nat- how How you say it? Nativity of the girl.
2: Nativity. I don't know. That's too, one. Too, I always put one too many syllables in that one. Um, but uh, you know, so th- those were kind of cool ideas. But then I also turn around and question. Okay, so this whole race is very regimented and uh, paperwork and uh, strict about their their order and their procedures and their, this has got to be done this way. That doesn't necessarily sound like a, a race to me that's going to sit and enjoy The Last Sunset <laughs> and want to draw it out. That sounds to me like a race that's going to, you know up till the end they're policing the beaches and going you're not allowed to sit here and watch the sunset unless <laughs> you have this is a no sunset watching zone do you have the proper form to you know it, it just seemed like those were two different ideas they, they weren't romantic enough to uh, necessarily want that even in the face of the end of their civilization
0: well, I sort of wonder if you can explain that away. to perhaps there's no need for that kind of thing on their planet but now that they've come to this you know uh, Wretched hive of scum and villainy. Um, they have to perform as police officers, which they don't normally do, and that's why they 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 are very bumbling when they they go about that approach. And so I wonder if maybe that that was more out of a necessity. That on on their planet, everybody just kind of obeys the rules, so there's no having to be real staunch and stringent about something. You don't have to go through the paperwork, but but because they're such a structured Orderly society, when they go somewhere else that requires them to uh, bring order to the the place, that's why they get very bogged down on all the bureaucracy. I could be. It, I don't so.
2: imagine there's a lot of crime or walking on the grass on their home. because alone. they're also right. not
0: very good at enforcing the uh, <laughs> things <laughs> that they're being very bureaucratic about. And you know, they they'll say, "Well, you can't do that, that this or this," and they're e- very easily talked out of whatever they're trying to enforce so i thought you know maybe perhaps
2: that's why well and the daughter mentions that they've they kind of got that hive mind uh mentality yeah. that they're all linked but then that kind of broke because it was like well then how did she wind up getting the gumption to break away to begin with and yeah. i want to see the world and get out under the
0: but she didn't form. that was a guy's she she yeah. she had all intended about going back to the planet. And and that's why at the end she decides to go back to the planet because I don't think she ever she she left out of necessity of unloading these guns is what she did. I don't think she had any I think that was a ruse that I was going out to see the world because Damn. she's lying to Donna and the doctor at the very beginning because she doesn't want them to know that she actually is the arms oh, dealer yeah. that
2: everybody's
1: looking for. Yeah, that's true.
2: Okay. So all that was was, was cool. Um, there's some brilliantly fun moments uh, with Donna looking through the wardrobe and finding nothing but pirate wench a outfits. Oh, wench outfits. <laughs> 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 and, the, my God, I could see the expression on Tennant's face. Like, Why is everything that, What that... Oh, yeah, that one is a bit wenchy. <laughs> 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 Just so well-written for the pair of them. Yes. Yeah. Um and, uh, it was just, I don't know. It was just fun to hear Tenet again. I think that was probably a large part of my enjoyment from it. Um, I blame you, Glenn, for this because I cringed a little bit when the, uh, the, the bad guy showed up and, gully, it was an octopus. <laughs> Which I don't know why. It's just, I, if, if, you know, it's a tentacled creature I had zero problems with. But the moment they said octopus. Well,
0: but, uh, the thing that i can excuse for that in in audio i'm i'm much more forgiving in the sense that number 1 i don't have to see it but number 2 somebody like donna who's a bit fish out of water and she's never seen extraterrestrials every time she encounters something she has to put what she can most closely yeah. identify it as and she's the one that calls it an octopus
2: yeah. in and context,
0: so yeah context. in context so i think that that's what she's she's doing is she's rationalizing the most familiar thing to her in her limited uh, visualization or, or mind i don't want to say limited mind i'm not saying she's simple-minded but in 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 her lim- limited capacity for um understanding these kind of things that are very foreign to her that's why she says octopus because it has tentacles so the thing, closest thing she can think of so i don't imagine a giant octopus i imagine a, a large hopefully cleverly <laughs> created, you know, a uh, uh, thing that just maybe slightly resembles an octopus as opposed to a
1: jadun that looks exactly like a rhinoceros. So that there
0: I can kind of be this thing
1: obviously had suckers, but the suckers could be removed or something. I don't know they seemed to play kind of fast and loose with what Gully could actually do. I don't remember the su they the talked about Well they talked about how it touched the backpack and then the backpack was oh, I, stuck just got, to them. I just
0: got the impression it was whatever he secreted onto the backpack. Uh, I, so I don't think it uh, was the suckers that uh, I thought it was some sort of goo that, that he secreted skewed. to him yeah
1: overall he was a little too over the top in my opinion
0: I don't know I think that, that this story didn't take itself too seriously so I think having a over the top maybe campy villain was actually okay in my opinion.
2: I, in, in a way, almost think they didn't go campy enough. I, I think we had a very interesting... Uh, the story and the setting almost feel like they didn't match up terribly well. Because the the story with the Time Reaver... And the Time Reaver is a fantastic idea. I mean, what a terrifying weapon that is. Yeah, But then we, we've got this... Uh, you know, this hive of scum and villainy, this terrible uh, uh, port of call where anything can happen, but we've really played up the swashbuckling buccaneer angle. And we've specifically said pirates, and now we've got this guy who's very larger than life, and I kind of almost wish they would have... That almost feels like two different stories. Like, I wanted the really over-the-top fun pirate adventure... And then I wanted a different story that was let's deal with the the the, the gun smuggler and the the time reaver weapons and maybe put it somewhere else. I don't know, I just It wasn't it wasn't a big thing. It wasn't enough to take me out of it and, and make me not enjoy the story. But yeah, I can see where Gully was borderline on that. I'm not sure which way they wanted to play him almost.
0: Anything else on this one?
1: I didn't realize that The guy who played uh, Cora's father, Roan, is Terry Malloy. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I did not pick up on that. Very cool. I did not hear that when listening to it. And, of course, Dan Starkey was in there, too. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, let's move on to the next one. Death and the Queen. Donna Noble has never been lucky in love. So when one day her prince does come, she is thrilled to have the wedding of all weddings to look forward to. Though the doctor isn't holding his breath for an invitation, and her future mother-in-law is certainly not amused. (coughs) But on the big day itself, Donna finds her castle under siege from the darkest of forces, marching at the head of a skeleton army. When it looks like even the doctor can't save the day, what will Queen Donna do to save her people from death?
2: Itself. Bum bum bum. I enjoyed this one too. This one tonally much more felt more in line with that farcical kind of uh, you know we we've got a fairy tale setting and so we're going to give you the the more absurd uh, story to go along with it um, up to and including death actually showing up.
0: Which leads me to my really my only complaint about this story is the fact that I felt like in a box set of three, this should have been the middle story and the Time Reaver should have been the last story because it felt a little more grand and epic. Just in the scope of maybe hearkening back to Russell T. Davis's kind of a grandeur when he does, mm-hmm. you know, in, in stories, this one was a little too jaunty and fun now it gets it gets serious and heavy at the end but it just for for at least the first two-thirds of the story I kept thinking "Ooh, I really feel like this should have been a middle story but that's really it's for me it's biggest strike against it has just felt placed wrong in those uh, in the, the now again I read all I heard I read I listened to all three of these together the first time and uh, so this time it was really just comparing comparing two but uh, it, it really kind of felt like it should have been placed between what was the first story that we did with the
2: technophobia. Yeah.
0: Technophobia. Yeah. Uh, it really felt like it should have been placed between technophobia, but that would have, that's just my own preference. So it's good. It was, it, it's, 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 it's enjoyable. It, this one really plays to Donna's character in the sense that, you know, she wants that fairy tale. She so badly wants to be queen. Um, the doctor going along with it, I thought was interesting. Although all the time popping in and interrupting all of their little romantic interludes with, you know, but I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure why I've never heard <laughs> of this play. You know, just, I thought that was really cleverly done, uh, especially starting it out with her already, uh, being set to be queen and then kind of recapping where they had come yeah. from up to there. I thought that was, that was I really, that liked was how they did that. really, really well done um it what it did is it it um it really uh allowed them to get through the courtship phase without it being unbelievable that she would just suddenly fall for some guy and run off and 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 be married um it really kind of made it feel like some time had passed um without having to pass that time in in the story and so i thought that was clever um
2: it, uh, it also gave you that great stinger before the credits. Yeah, it was, yes, yes, <laughs> very,
0: very, very much so. Um, talk about over-the-top characters, though. <laughs> I really thought Rudolph was quite a bit, a little more sniveling than I probably expected mm-hmm. the character should be. Um, It, it was right for the, the part, especially um, having the mother that he did, but ultimately he's he, he's very and i know why they did this he's very much um charming and endearing and 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 likable in the beginning and then he his character degrades but i think we just suddenly start to see his true stripes yeah, but I, I just I felt like when we're starting to see the 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 real the true stripes, he got a little bit too sniveling, you know, a little too much. Oh yeah, you know, whiny and and mother, mother, you know that kind of stuff. And he went so. so
1: far in the sniveling that when he actually starts to grow a backbone, it almost seems unbelievable. Exactly,
0: and I think what makes it hard to believe is if he's really the character that he eventually is portrayed as. How did he? pull off being so chiming at the beginning when he's courting her so that that unfortunately that made it a little less believable so i think that that he still could have been very you know kowtowed to uh, mom but didn't have to be as you know whiny and and uh oh, mom you know that kind of just uh, that that was maybe a little too much but again very little I can find wrong with this because I I really really enjoyed this story all the way up to the fact that death shows up for this bargain (laughs) now they kind of play fast and loose with it that it's not really death but they don't go so far because the doctor
1: is a little bit wrong on his theory of what's going on here that's one of the things I like the most about this is how wrong the doctor is throughout the entire thing frequently throughout pretty much the entire time he's wrong (laughs) every time he comes to a conclusion it's always wrong right I mean, wrong. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the sniveling, I think, bothered me less than the... What felt abrupt turn when he threatens Donna with the... Okay, well, if you don't want to get married, then uh, I'll kill all these people. And, you know, really kind of holds her hostage with that. But then later, like, I'm very sorry about that, I, you know. Yeah,
0: but... What? <laughs> the only
2: thing that I... Uh... That no, was thinking, the one line that I was like, but, I can handle the sniveling, but that one was... Mm. But listening to it,
0: I think I could be a little forgiving because when he's saying, I'm, Donna, I'm sorry, Donna, I'm sorry, he's not apologizing for how he treated her. He's apologizing for what's coming because then later when she's it's disclosed that she's Death's Bride, he says it in the same mm. way, Donna, I am sorry. Right. I think that's I, I think Maybe, that's what okay. you... And it didn't, it didn't come across to me the first time I listened to it, but the second time, knowing what was coming... I sort of noticed at this time, so I think maybe that's why it seems very abrupt from putting his foot down and being a, a bit devious to apologizing to her. That you know, at the at the next turn, so
2: because yeah, if, if if they had stayed with that, if he had made that declaration and then stayed evil through the end of the story, I'd have been fine with that because it would have shown that everything you know at the beginning was was part of the ruse, but to be charming and then be evil and then be sniveling was kind of like... I also don't
0: get the impression that he was being evil. He was being... Actually, I think the, it was more of an empty threat. Not an empty threat, but I think it was a, a unintended threat. I don't think he would have sent more people to their death, but I think he used that as leverage so that Donna would... so that Donna would kind of, you know, cower away from what her being her assertive self. And I think right. that, I think it was a ploy. I don't, I really don't think he would have sent that many more people to their death. Uh, y- yes, he does send a lot of people to, to their death in defending of the, and he is very callous about it because, you know, while well, a King sometimes has to make those decisions and that's what these people are for is to protect the kingdom. But I think that, Putting it in such a way, I don't think he would have... I, ultimately, he wouldn't have sacrificed all of those men. But I think he had to put on airs that he would so that Donna would, would basically back down off of it. So, I get, I'm, 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 again, I've kind of got a, bit, a little bit of having listened to it again and seen maybe sure. some things I didn't catch the first time. It, maybe I'm, I'm being a little defensive
2: of it. But. No, no, no. It's not like I... I'm particularly defensive of some of the Eighth Doctor audios, <laughs> <laughs> but i i, I, oh, I, I certainly
0: <laughs> I certainly don't think he or the Queen both, despite their the steps they took, I would never qualify them as being evil. I think they took they they were they made really stupid decisions, but I think ultimately it was to protect <laughs> the kingdom and to bring peace for the 500 years that they just feel like they didn't feel like they had another choice. Uh, so I don't think I'd go as far as say that they were evil, but
1: they certainly did some bad things. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I can excuse a lot of the the difference between you know the courting and then then once they're at the castle, or at least when we meet up with them. Because I imagine most of the courting happened away from mom, and it did. Yeah. And so he didn't need to worry about. He could put on all the airs he wants because he didn't have to answer to mom while he's away. But then once he got. To the castle, I think that's when the, the sniveling aspect showed up, and we just, you know, didn't really see him until after we had already heard about all the courting. So then, we don't see that transition of we showed up. Oh, hi, mommy, I'm home. Well, that's a good yeah. point. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that.
0: It's yep. easier to put on airs when you're not around your smothering mother. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: Anything else on this one that?
2: I think we have to talk about the uh, the, the Army of Maids. Hortensia yeah. oh, and Hortensia. Yes. <laughs> what a fantastic character yeah. she was. Yes. It
0: was just Hortense, wasn't it?
1: Hortense, yeah. Yeah.
0: That was yeah. The, uh, the, well, I, and, I, and, and that was the other thing is I, I, I thought it was a bit over the top in corning, but I was okay with it. The fact that, that Donna had, you know, <laughs> they just sit in this room and embroider all the time. So I'm going to give them something else to do. So she's teaching him Joan Collins, was Jackie Collins? Jackie. <laughs> she's teaching her read Jackie Collins and, and, you know, kind of being self-educated, which you know, that's totally something Donna would do. Um, and, and the other option, she said, well, the other option was <laughs> confessions of a shopah- shopaholic. <laughs> she felt like that would be out of place in this time. <laughs> um, but but down to the fact that she really has changed the maids in such a way that they would, I felt, they could be capable of, of doing what they did. And Hortense yeah. being, you know, down to the fact that, you know, they, they knew that the, 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 the emblem and the the saying on the on the banners would keep them out, and so putting those on the sheets as protection that was very forward thinking and i At first, I thought maybe Donna had come up with that idea but but I think that handmaidens really were the orchestrators of that, and Donna just kind of uh of uh, uh, um directed it in a in a way so um uh, I thought that was clever. I also thought it was very clever that they had put for good luck that emblem on her undergarments yeah um and and right down to the point that they had talked about they wear one of the little bracelets as protection and good luck for uh, just the the cleverness of that little that small device being kind of the the um (sighs) the kryptonite i thought was was really cool and I, i enjoyed that a lot
1: yeah i agree my own one other small little complaint i had with it and I didn't want it beat over my head, but I kept forgetting that this wasn't, like, just a mod- set in modern times. I had a whole... Except for his constant reminders of, this is a 17-something. I just could not get it into my head that this was modern. This was a historical setting. Okay. I, I think it's most of the the way the characters were written were written so modernly that I just... Could not get it through my head.
2: I oh. had it in my head through the entire thing that it was an alien culture mm. that we were. <clears throat> it was still fairy tale and still castle and feudal kind of. But 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 we were you know we were on another planet.
0: Android Tara.
2: Yeah, that kind of thing. And um, you know, even though the doctor kept saying seventeen hundred seventy, you know, it's like, why does he? Oh, because this is supposed to be a period piece. Okay. But then, you know, the cloud shows up and in my mind it's you know, this big this big alien cloud in the sky, Flash Gordon looking thing. No, it's not, it's just a cloud. What say? And then he name drops Napoleon at the end of the I election. thought it was
0: a big Flash Gordon-looking cloud. I mean, it was so death so. arriving yeah, well, on the door, so
2: I thought it was. I, I, you know, I imagine the, in, in my mind the entire sky was red and boiling. Well, I, f- but, you know, I the, think it was. I think that <laughs> I was the impression I got. Boiling, that that certainly obscuring. was alien.
0: That yeah. certainly was the alien element of this story, even though it's set in the 1700s. This deal they had made was with this whatever group, <laughs> uh, civilization that was portraying death in a way. Although again, they kind of backed off on that and left it a bit ambiguous that they were still talking about death. Although I know this wasn't actually death because the doctor said he'd never met death. And I think it was just playing into the fact that, well, I really have met death because he could have easily walked up and said, well, I've met death before, you know, and you're not death because he has met death as the seventh doctor. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I know I'm canonizing Virgin New Adventures. No, that, that would have been a great <laughs> bit. Uh, I kind of had hoped they would have dropped at least a bit of a line
2: there, but they didn't. I've met death, and you, sir, are no death. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I wanted him to walk up and say, "You're not death. She's much more attractive, or she's much more something." Because death in the books is a is a female, mm-hmm. or at least portrayed as a female. So,
2: anyway. But no, I, I um, another uh, another instance of a tailor made companion that is not. Very 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 sad that uh Hortense. Hortense
1: and they was went to great extent. There. Well, he was auditioning her there a yeah. the oh, spot, yeah. too. He was very heavily auditioning. Although there.
0: I think he also was. I think he genuinely felt like Donna was ready to leave and and would was going to stay behind and marry her prince and uh, and and it, he seemed while you know he does heartfelt uh, gets a little heartfelt at the end that he will miss her and 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 you know is selfish about her leaving. He the whole time really kind of gives the airs of you know he's he's prepared himself for this he's he is ready for her to decide to stay there and be a queen be and and live her fairy tale life. I'm
1: I'm conflicted in my feelings on the doctor in this because while I enjoyed him being wrong a lot, it was a little frustrating that he was so one step behind everything the whole way. Yeah, well, not just that, but he was so self-centered and so egotistical. Not just in the everything's wrong, but he went to Donna on her wedding day and did this whole spiel and she's trying to tell him something and he's not listening. And he's just so self-involved the entire story where he really shouldn't have been for his supposed best friend. But I, on the other hand, the performance is so enjoyable that it's kind of, it's almost forgiving. And the fact that it's, you know... You could see it as another stepping stone in the building towards time Lord victorious mm-hmm. yeah, so uh, there's there's while it was frustrating to listen to i could I think I see what they're trying to do
2: here there's enough mental retconning going on that yeah, right, no, because we know where it's going right. it was a good speech too. Well, I always think I'm prepared for it, and then you all leave, and I'm not metal dog even left me twice. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Anything else on this story we should uh, discuss before we close this show out?
1: They're doing good stuff with the tenth doctor. They, they really are.
0: Um, I'm excited for us to get to the. Uh, st- well, we haven't Rose listened to the Tyler's stuff with Rose next. yet. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you and I have heard them, but. And then another series with Donna. Yep. Coming. Yeah. that which just released not too long ago. Yeah, just, right? just ago. Last
1: last month. I think. Last month. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, Sean, what do we got coming up on the schedule? Well, coming up
2: on the schedule uh next week we will be covering yet more big finish if i can find it going into
1: um hmm? i don't think we
2: are is it on big finish next week i thought it was oh no 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 it's shada it is shada. Uh, yeah we're, we're covering shada next week i'm yeah you're right um so uh we'll be doing the uh, new animated version of shada and uh did we any 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 news on ian levine's uh we have access to we have access to that yeah okay Cool. i need to add that to my not a lot of people do (laughs) but we have access (laughs) to 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 that to add that to my list of things that i need to do this week um (laughs) so uh we will be covering that because you know just we don't haven't talked about shot enough and then uh the following week is um back to lethbridge Stewart and uh the danger Man. yes with uh the laughing gnome nick walters very good and then some big finish i think after that yes, <laughs> yes. we got more
0: big finish on the, some <laughs> i knew there was diary more or big or finish river river in there somewhere after that. Mm-hmm. yeah got some diary river song coming up yeah all right very good well anything else before we
1: close the show out
0: all right well if that's gonna do it for this time until next
2: time i'm glenn i'm sean i'm keith cheers good night everybody be seeing you thanks for listening
0: you have been listening to traveling the vortex doctor who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the bbc no infringement is intended or implied